Copy, ship boss. I got radio check. Yeah, radio is working fine. Yeah, copy all personnel. Yeah, copy, mate. The chair in the vent bag. Yeah, stitcher up then, thanks, mate. G'day, Money Miners. 14th of June, Wednesday. Welcome to the show. Jeez, AVZ, isn't that good for some views, JD? Trap. Lady, the punters love a good AVZ chat from yesterday. And the bots might be on that one too. You stopped getting harassed yet, JD, or is it still happening? Yeah, I think they might have thought the take was a bit bit more balanced. What do you reckon? Oh, I, think, yeah, I, thought, I thought we showed both sides in this one. I'll have to check. Yeah, my- no one's ever happy though. I'll have to, I have to check the uh, Is there both Twitter sides account. or six sides? It's <laughs> a good point. <laughs> There's some bloody sides. Yeah, Actually, I said I revisited my uh, one I did last year on the initial AVZ. I probably should have um, listened to it before the episode. Yeah, I only actually checked the uh, the company Twitter account. So the personal one got a fair bit of stick last time. So I'll check after this and see how we're going. Look at us go. Right. Yeah, head back and listen to the AVZ chat. Everyone, a bit of an update on where they're at and with the Monono Lithium Project and what's to come. There's still plenty more to come. This will keep us bloody, give us content for a decade, I'd say. Right, news of the day, lads. Delta Lithium, strategic placement. That's the old red dirt. Wait, so mate, that- aren't you going to tease what the, what the deep dive is up front? Nah, keep them guessing. <laughs> keep them guessing. It's a nickel stock. <laughs> it was a great announcement for Delta, wasn't it? Well, because uh, I had the big rise the other week, where, so there was a, a lot of uh, market interest uh, and a bit of word on the decline. There was a lot of off-market interest as well. So yeah, they, the, they went up, shot up about 22% in one day on no news. Yeah, from roughly sort of 50 cents to almost 70 cents, didn't they? Yeah, well, so Idemitsu Australia has invested $46.5 million bucks at a 7.5% premium to the 10-day VWAP. So... Look, 7.5% premium, but consider they went up 20% uh, a couple of weeks ago as well. So uh, they've issued them 15% worth of the company in yep. shares. So that's the max they can do without shareholder approval. So uh, subsidiary, they're a subsidiary of the parent Japanese energy business. So Delta looking strong, 90 million bucks in cash, lads, and uh, additional drill results and from Unithara and Mount Ida projects. As well, so yeah, love seeing uh, an investment at a premium for a company, don't we? Yeah, it, it's it looks a lot like the um the Leo one that they did with Ganfang, you know, super recently, right? Um, launch, launch your placement, do it all to the the one strategic partner at a premium. Um, it's a much you know more favourable um, equity market strategy than than what we saw with uh, Sayona. Yeah, and also interesting to see this is with a, a Japanese partner, so obviously a lot of the world's critical resources going to China, so it might be quite strategic in that sense too. Right, Trav, there's no better man to take off the next bit of news than yourself, mate. This is a little soft spot, this commodity, this little sector for you. Take it away for Callium. Oh, potash. Oh, you love it, don't you? We do love it. Mate. I've been waiting for this one. Um, you know, Callium, it was over a week ago that that I, I talked about them on, on the show because they'd gone into a trading halt and then the trading halt turned into a suspension. Um, and it was all pending an operational update where well, we've finally gotten that operational update and, um, mate, it's, it's not looking like it's good news. They, um, they, they've revealed now to the, to the market that their SOP, which is sulfate of potash production has been 2000 tons for the last two months. Um, and this is for their beyond desulfate of potash mine, which is about 160 kilometers 
southeast of Newman. So 2,000 tons over the last two months. If you just annualize that, you get what, like 12,000 tons per annum. That's a long way off their target of uh, 60,000 tons per annum by July that they stated in their March quarterly. Yeah, I think if you jump on the company's website as well, the target was for 100,000 tons Mate, it's gone annum. down and down and down. Like it's yeah. like restated down to nine and then restated down to 60. Now, now in this latest one, it's restated down to 55 by December. So like the dates and the, the um, steady state production keep going lower and lower. Yeah. So we, you, went, you went over it last week, Trav. What's the big drivers of why they're not hitting their nameplate? There'd be, there's a, there's a, there'd be a lot in my mind, um, you know, n- not least of which, just think about the OPEX of this operation. Um, you, you can pretty, like, and I'll bring, I'll bring up some of these um, numbers in a, in a moment, but, you know, I can, in my mind, I think the OPEX is um, like extremely high and also your, your production of, of um, you know, potassium bearing salts is, is not at all what, you know, the studies were saying. Um, and I think the other issue with these uh, projects is that, feedback loop, the time it takes to get a bit of um, feedback and then make a change and then actually see it in your production flow can be as long as three years just by virtue of the chemistry in these operations. So, um, you know, it's, you're pretty limited in your ability to actually improve things and see that improvement over time as so, well. So it's in the processing side that is the, mm-hmm. the issue, is it? Big time. Yeah. So it's yeah. just so different to your normal hard rock mining. For instance, the issues we saw at Mincor earlier this year, yeah. you can tell pretty soon after the fact that something's going wrong, they need to address it. It can take years with these sort of SOP type plays. Why is that? Well, the, and the way these things are modelled, like you see that 60,000 ton per atom target, right, or 55, whatever, 100. The way that number is modelled is this thing called a steady state pond model. Um, and, Maddie, there's no such thing as a steady state in the environment. There's, ah. there's rainfall, there's seepage, there's uh, a whole bunch Different of factors that um, yeah, don't, make any such thing as, and, and the, the dynamics matter a lot in, in this. You, you do model it with a dynamic pond model as well, but, um, but yeah, there's a lot of variability that happens and, and some assumptions make a huge difference in it all. Um, but yeah, I mean, like they, they went, they went into it so when they went into suspension just over a week ago, we also saw one of their directors resign in this case, that director, it was Mark Sawyer and he was sitting on the board as the nominee for Greenstone resources fund. So Greenstone, they've tipped in about 60 million bucks on my numbers over the last three years to A, help fund the project and then B, you know, keep tipping in um, their pro rata equity as ramp up issues took their grip. Greenstone was there as a 20%, you know, strategic cornerstone. So when I saw Mark Sawyer, who was a co-founder of Greenstone, step off the board, um, despite that huge, you know, dollar investment uh, in Calium, it, it, it looked to me like, you know, he clearly doesn't see that equity being worth anything anymore um and today they've come out saying that they've appointed argonaut as a financial advisor to run a strategic process that means sale sale process in my mind um that additional funding is going to be required over the next two financial years during ramp up and in my mind what this ramp up has been going on for three years already so it's a never-ending ramp up on this one um and that they're going to continue to remain in suspension during this process but what's the what's the balance sheet looking like there now trev so they got 200 and 1 million bucks dead outstanding. Um, and yeah, I know. And it keeps going up. 5 million more coming in because the lenders are, um, have to keep finding things. And I imagine- Jeez, they're making Red 5 look good. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. What was the cash position at the cash last quarterly? Be really slim. I, th- I thought it was like 12, 12 million at the end of the quarterly. Uh, yeah, keep in mind, they've drawn down a bit more of debt. So, but, but I think, you know, the, the OPEX is super high, keeping the operation going. 
um, is costing a lot of money. You can see one quote in the quarterly that the indicative harvest for the combined months of April and May is approximately 22,000 tonnes of um, potassium-bearing salts and 154,000 tonnes of waste salts. So that's a lot of waste salt you have to harvest, right? Um, and like the OPEX associated with that, like the, the, these waste salts is just halite or, um, you know, yeah, sodium chloride, right? That just precipitates and you have to use a salt harv harvester and load it up into trucks and haul it away. Um, that's a lot of waste to your, um, your potassium bearing salts there. And that's, yeah. Yeah. And that 200 million odd in debt, do we know who the, who the lenders are there? Hey, and like, that's the thing, right? Like, um, the taxpayers on the hook for a lot of this. So like, you know, the, the NAIF. NAIF is in there, you've got KFW, um, Yolo Hume. So, uh, and, and what we see now is, yeah, like there's a, there's a strategic process. I can't imagine this stock ever trading again. I think it was $20 million market cap at the time at yeah. the suspension, but that, that debt is going to be super hard to see, you know, your lenders get, um, hundred cents on, on the dollar in any process here. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's not the first name in, in this sector that we've seen go through such a process. So well, bang, you think the lenders would be uh, absolutely shitting themselves when you got, you got that much owing and possibly a project that does not appear to work in its current state. And needs more funding to, you know, get a potential, to potentially work. To potentially work. So um, you, just, think, you could nearly yeah. attribute zero value to it yeah. at the moment. And think of the lend the lenders are also like, there's a rehab liability that's associated with all this too. So you've just, yeah. There's I think the, the writing's on the wall with this one and we should move on to something a bit more cheery. There was some news at Orcorp, Matty. What oh, did we big goida, big goids. Timmy Goida is uh, holding in Orcorp's moved up from 5 to 6%. So he's got about 24 million shares now. Um, so we're still waiting on, so is that 24 million he bought today or is up to 24 million? From, from 20 million shares up to 24, 24 yeah, that he yeah. now holds. So really looking to see that funding come together for the, for the project in Tanzania, aren't we? That's the, the big kicker. and then. I think most analysts will have uh, factored in roughly two years construction. So hopefully if things go smoothly, we can see them by 2026 starting to produce gold in Tanzania. Can you, can you, can an individual just fund a project? You know, organizations usually fund it, but can well, they I think say, Nian uh, uh, Zaga is going to be funded by Tim Goida because he's got. He's a, he's a wealthy man, but it's still quite a, quite a big ticket. Wealthy on script. <laughs> exactly. I don't think he wants to sell too much of that lion town and, you know, it's quite a hefty um, project build that uh, Orcorp is facing. So it might make him an honorary citizen if uh, if he does that. Mm. Yeah, Given <laughs> the free carried interest the government gets, <laughs> I'll definitely flick the chalice off instead of and keep the line town. You'd think, but uh, predictive discovery PDI. So they're in a trading halt. Now this was requested by the ASX after high trading volume yesterday. Now predictive discovery. So the ASX put it. They pause them. A predictive discovery then have to respond. So they've got to respond to the price volume query and have to provide an exploration update inclusive of any unannounced assay results. Interesting. Specifically we saw them, requested by the ASX. Yeah, we saw them raise money just, just last week. So be interesting to see what they So doing. you would think that based on that trading volume, there is some positive news coming if there's unannounced assay results. So possibly a good thing. There was high volume and it went up about, I think it was 10 and a bit percent. Come yeah, back right. down yesterday, Harvey. So uh, IGO, they've awarded the Cosmos Electrification Study to Parenti and ABB. So obviously Bar Minko are within Parenti. They've got the underground contract at that mine and all of IGO's mines. 
So this study is for the full electrification of the Cosmos Underground Nickel Project. So that's also known as Odysseus, people that uh, don't know. Now, electrification, lads, a lot of studies going on. Studies sound, sounds like they're on the front foot. But I guess my concern is who is going to take the first leap to implement this full electrification because it comes back to the equipment manufacturers, the OEMs. Can they provide these electric uh, fleet for an underground mine? So the OEMs, such as Sandvix, Epirox, CAT, and will the mine owners and the contractors be willing to sacrifice production output mm-hmm. in the short term to go full electric? Because I'm telling you now, when you're having to charge, drop off, charge, recharge batteries on trucks and boggers throughout the shift, every shift, you can't expect the equivalent production output across the board. So, Are you an yeah. optimist or a, or, a, or a pessimist when it comes to, you know, underground electrification? Uh, it depends in which aspect you look at it. I'm a optimist in the idea for this is the way we have to go, but a pessimist in terms of the uptake of it. It's the practicality at the moment. Well, there, there's the practicality, but like who is going to drop their, how's the market's going to react when companies start dropping their guidance because their production rates are lower because they've got a full electric fleet. Yeah, it'd be fascinating the mar- the to see. The market doesn't depend. The whole market isn't aren't green investors. They want money. Yeah, we'll see what this what this study comes out with. It'd be fascinating to see what the but sort studies, of studies. There's shitloads of studies everywhere. Everyone's mm. doing studies. Where, where's the actual electric mines? I think. You know, I think Canada's had a better uptake over there, but they're um, yeah, I don't think they're. Australia has a lot more high pressure on production output speed at which it goes so um right the deep dive lads oh i like a bit of nickel's my new uh png this is the one nickel company you didn't talk about last time mate. yeah i know we forgot to mention it when we're talking about the whole thing because they they just panoramic just sell a concentrate to trafigura so it's out of that hub right it's pretty far, far away. It, it's it's in its own bloody hub in the middle of bloody nowhere so panoramic resources now they've had uh, negative operational update from their Savannah project in the Kimberley. So, uh, yeah, not not good for them, bloody, whether it's bad luck or things deteriorating on the plant. But, look, they're down 10% on the day. So they're now capped at 180 mil. You can see the chart there. They've had a pretty gradual decline or hefty decline over the last 12 months. So, look, we'll run through the operational side of things and then try and, I guess, get uh, you boys to look at how this is going to impact them financially. So, look, what, what's happened here, the company has flagged that the, the filter press pressure plate has a crack in it. So the filter press, that's used at the final step of the processing. So that's what it filters. Uh, the filters, what everything that goes through the mill to, to go into the concentrate after the crushing, grinding, flotation and thickening. So Photos are pretty telling of this thing, weren't they? Well, you look at it, it looks like, so they've, um, and they talk about this in announcement, they they noticed a crack before. You can see the photos we've got up here. So see a gut load of weld beads in the guts there. They put it back to work and then it got another crack. But this is an existing piece of the plant from, I think 2004. Yeah, so it looks then, like it's showing its age, doesn't it? Yeah, so then like it's obviously the plant's been on care and maintenance up there in the, the hot and the cold, just just sitting there, and then now it's been restarted. So I love the wording in the uh, the announcement. An engineering solution um, was developed for the crack, but it just looks like a welding is the engineering solution. Shitloads, <laughs> of, shitloads of welding. That is, the, um, that is mining 
I know one. So they've said there's, they'll take there's numerous turns for it, but I won't say him on the show. <laughs> they said they'll take about two weeks to restore this, and no. they'll be down for the next two weeks. And so, then, it sounds, so it sounds like they're doing a, a fix it job on it, you know, yeah. weld the crap out of it, um, and, then, and then so that'll be back in to action in two weeks. I don't know if they're just welding it; they're probably re, reinforcing it or something. But then they've uh, take on the front foot with getting a new one. Uh, engineered, manufactured, and that's going to be four to six weeks. That'll be sent up. So, uh, not good. Not good for them. We're going to go. We're going to go into it because it's a very. We'll go into this mine specifically, the Savannah mine. It's one of those mines that everything, especially considering nickel price has gone down. It's one of those mines where everything really has to go right mm. for it. Yeah, absolutely. To work. So they've pulled guidance as well in today's announcement, and you might think this. You know, they can still keep mining and stuff, but it has more implications because they're using the, the paste fuel, aren't they, Maddie, yeah, in, so, the, in the mining process? Yeah, because once you turn the mill off, so the mill's going to be off for two weeks, then you can't produce paste because the tailings are the key ingredient in the paste along with cement. Not sure of their makeup of paste, but once that mill's down, that means you can't backfill underground stopes and that would be holding up the subsequent, the successor stopes um, after that and it has an impact, a flow and impact for the whole production schedule. Yeah. So that's a that's a big factor as well. And they're not producing concentrate. Don't mind science have a critical parts spares list on them normally? Oh, probably not for big items like this possibly. Right. Maybe, maybe not. But, like, you know, things like this that can be refurbed, they have. But how many – you think if you've got a spare for every single piece on a mine site, that's a bloody big shed. Yeah, but not every piece is critical that results mm. in a, you know, shut down. Yeah, it's um, yeah, can't comment on that one. It's tough, so, tough one to tough one to analyze without being there. So for those who haven't been been following Savannah and Panoramic more broadly, they like you said that's that started. I think in two thousand four is when this got into production, but they've actually been restarting since late twenty one. So they're on their way to ramping up to nameplate production. So we were sort of anticipating by FY twenty four that they'd be producing nine hundred or that the mill would be going at nine hundred and fifty thousand tons per annum and in their latest mine life study they were looking to produce 9.4 thousand tons of nickel 5,000 tons of copper and 700 tons of cobalt annually yeah so you look at the the graph here from like their guidance future guidance until 2026 they they've still got a bit of capital to put in before the actual all-in costs get down so and i'll go through a lot of the ventilation stuff they've had to put in to get down to this um savannah north extension but um it doesn't look like according to this even though i think they were hoping to reach nameplate output capacity by fy uh by this year yeah their cost was still going to be high while they were developing down deep so yeah we'll get into a the lot of a lot of pressure on that we'll get into the costs more later but maddie why don't you just start unpacking what's what's really going on underground and at, at the mill for us well if you okay here's a bit of a schematic of i guess what this underground looks like. So this is pretty much have found this Savannah North, um, which is a, a new a new ore body, which has been I've been told is lot is bigger than the existing Savannah that was there. But it's uh looks pretty looks pretty on this first long section. But then you look at the long section of the entire mine, it's a kilometer deep where it starts. So right down the bottom there is of the main Savannah ore body is about one kilometer. Then this one starts along that so you can see how look at the size of it, it um, it's massive but 
it looks like if you look at the scale of that, it's probably going to about seventeen hundred meters. And this is what's what's in their mine plan. Only a small portion of uh, I think the mine plan is attributed to the remnant mining of the existing Savannah ore body. So Mate, up, up in the Kimberley, yeah. So you, well, you look there. at where it's um it's up near Argyle. So you've got obviously the issues of of heat. So when you're mining at depth, end with heat because when You've got a high wet bulb temperature coming in, all your ventilation intakes in your portal. You can't really cool it down unless you got it. You can't cool it down unless you got chilling. So if you got high temperature on the surface, it's even going to be hotter underground. So look and like you, you look at the the ventilation circuit because they mentioned in their quarterly uh, when they come out in April, they had delays to the development in the Savannah extension down the bottom there. So if you look at we've got that uh, long section schematic up at the moment. See those, see those red lines? There's got all those little red lines going up the mine. You've got that big, long green line coming in, so that would be a fresh air intake. That's the ventilation coming, getting sucked from the surface, um, coming underground. And then those red lines are the return air, so that's where it goes back up to the surface. So that's called the ventilation circuit. So what, what happened in the April quarter, they, they said they had a blockage in one of the vent circuits. So that prevented that savannah extension development. So that means either the walls have actually caved in and um, the grounds failed and actually blocked that big return airway, which is, you know, it's usually like a four by four big hole going up level to level. That's what those little red lines are. So once you block one, you block the whole circuit. So that means the the air can't suck through and you can't ventilate underground. So that's what happens there. And that means nobody can be down there, nothing's happening. No, no. Well, you don't have enough. you got limited. It mightn't have been fully blocked. It might have just been partially blocked, which obviously affects the flow, but it means you can't. You have limitations on your trucking capacity. The heat rises, so it's tougher on all the operators. So, But you just look at what the capital that would have been put in to get to this Savannah North extension. So say that big green line going down, that's obviously a, that is a massive raise bore that's been put in from the surface a kilometer a kilometer long to ventilate the underground so that's big capital there just to so just to get down there you can't just really keep going when you've got two mining areas you need additional ventilation capacity so there's obviously they've sunk a lot of capital into to get that going um and then you just look at that savannah north extension um yeah it's a it's a big big ore body but it, you're starting from a kilometer deep which means high cost, right? Well, it's high, and it's high cost and it's efficiency as well. So you take off, there's an extra half an hour um, each way to get down, just to get the workers down there underground because there's no ventilation. There's no shaft or anything you can ride down in. You've got to drive a ute the whole way down. So if you're mining at 200 metres deep, you get to work at, you know, 6 o'clock, whereas these guys might only get to work at 6.30. But then they've got to leave half an hour early as well to get up so they can fire do all the blasting. So you're losing efficiencies there. You obviously then comes in the the trucking issues with trucking and getting it out. Same as Gualia. Gualia is 1800. Their biggest thing is the haulage, um, trying to get the dirt out of the hole in amongst everything else. So, But different to Gualia, it's not like it's stellar grade in this in this instance, is it? Nah, well, they do. Look, we'll, and you boys can go over that. Like The nickel grade isn't a standout, but they do get those byproduct credits from the copper and the cobalt. It is a bit of a sweetener. I think it takes a few bucks off their cash cost. Yeah, although so, we still see them pretty firmly in that fourth quartile of costs, which isn't a – it's pretty far from ideal. 
Yeah, exactly. And as I as I mentioned before, it's um it's just it's one of those mines that everything really needs to go right all the time. Similar to King of the Hill with Red Five by the sounds, like everything needs to be going and humming. And any little setback like this can have a big detriment on on the project. There's just not much room for flexibility. So, and as we talked about, now that the the mill's down, the paste won't be going down there. So that's another another big issue because even just two weeks without paste can really set everything back. It's not just making the next stope available. It's even just getting to drill the next stope, and it's um just pushes the whole schedule that back. Two, that it? two that two weeks could might cost you four or six weeks something so it's oh, um, good yeah. Should we get into the the financial side of things go yeah. boys this is your uh, cup of tea because <laughs> they gave a they gave an update on their on their guidance they've dropped their guidance and they've increased their cash costs and their c1 cash costs you'll go into that jd is actually higher than today's price of nickel itself yeah, it's not, it's not a good spot to be in. So the previous guidance for FY23 on, on the main product, nickel was between 6.6 thousand tonnes and 7.1 thousand tonnes of nickel. But yeah, like you said, that's been dropped. And the previous guidance for C1 costs, so this is Aussie dollar per pound, was between $7.30 and $8.30. Now in today's announcement, they've come out and said that's going to be between 13 and 13.50 per pound. So just for reference, the, the current nickel price, we looked at that earlier today, Maddie. that was floating, I think, $13.84 a pound. So pretty much their C1 cash cost. So, JD, go into what C1 cash cost is. Yeah, so that just, is not all the cost. Exactly. So just really simply, the C1 costs that a, a mining company has are the direct costs involved in, you know, producing a unit of metal, in this case, a pound of nickel. So... You'll have the all-in sustaining cost will be higher than that. And then again, the, the all-in cost will be even higher than that. So you can look in the last quarterly, the company, they, they show their, their numbers for the costs there. And the margin of additional costs over that C1 is between 3 and $4 in each of the last couple quarters. So if you just back of the envelope, do the same sort of thing, chuck on another 3 or $4 over the, the $13.50, the higher end of guidance, you're looking at around $17 per pound of nickel produced. So, so what, what are your main things that aren't included in C1? So obviously capital, CapEx, so capital expenditure. Um, CapEx will be the main thing that's not included in the in the C1 cost. So exploration drilling, because grade control drilling is included in C1, isn't it? Yeah, so, exactly. So to think of C1, you've got, like I said, the direct stuff, everything used in mining, everything used in processing, your local site, GNA, freight, any sort of selling costs, and then they're netting off the byproduct credits they're getting. So in this case, they're netting off what they're getting for the copper and what they're getting for the cobalt off of that C1 cost. And it's interesting because you look at that graph we looked at before, they're predicting future that their all-in costs are going to be around $8 per pound Australian. That's the all-in cost. That's um, including capital and everything. Yeah. And they're running just their operating costs, the C1, this month at 13, in 13. So... Yeah, so they're really hoping things all come into a line once they're running at nameplate capacity in a, in a year or so. So we'll sort of have to hold our breath and, and see how they go with that. So on the, on the balance sheet side of things, things are looking stretched. Pretty, pretty interesting. So they've got two different types of debt facilities, uh, both with Trafigura for combined at the last quarterly debt of US $41.4 million. 
So this is the the prepayment loan facility and their revolving credit facility that they've both got with yeah. Trafigura, right? Yeah, thirty. Well, there's like a thirty million dollar, um, yeah. yeah, prepayment facility. Uh, a little bit of that's been repaid, not much, and then fifteen million dollar working capital facility, both at the same interest rate. They quote, um, they don't actually tell you what the the margin is, but we just know it's you know so far plus a margin. Um, it's with Trafigura. We saw Trafigura come out the other day with a a facility for, for Aurelia and they had a margin of 6% on, um, on a portion of that. So you're looking at 10% roughly. I think think 10 is okay. Yeah. If if you assume SOFO right now is 5% plus a margin of 5% gets you to 10%, 10% on the outstanding debt. Um, you know, like, you know, that's uh 1.5 million in interest payment. It's a loan that they got to make this quarter add probably about $2 million in repayment on top of that. So there's, you know, three and a half million dollars. It's going to be spent just servicing their their debt this quarter. Yeah, and they were at a sort of group cash position at March 31 of 32.5 million Aussie. Remember we said that debt position was in US dollars. Yeah. So times that by roughly 1.5. Yeah. So it's it's not a great position. That revolving credit facility is due to be repaid at the end of the year, but- It's a bullet payment, 31 December. But yeah, re- that's already been pushed out, hasn't it? It was pushed back once. I mean, revolving credit facilities, it's, it's pretty typical for those to just, you know, keep- Keep um push it down the road, revolving themselves in some ways. Um, What's SOFA again? Is that pretty much the cash rate plus a bit? SOFA is the secured overnight funding uh, financing rate. So it's when when we're at uni, we always heard about LIBOR, but it's what's really replaced that. And right now, it's uh, a bit over five percent from from the last time I checked. So it usually tracks above what the cash rate is. Like it's never, it's always higher than what the cash uh, it's, rate it's is. Closer to what the the US, US cash rate, US the Fed funds rate, right. rate yeah. is. Yeah. So it's yeah. a a big global rate that a, a lot of, you know, debt is denominated sort of yep. priced in. Yeah, big time. Oh, and I mean, much I mean, the wiser. Jeez, like you look at, you look at the, the big question right now for this company is um, what is their interim working capital situation going to look like while operations are um, right now, you know, not, not producing, not selling product. Um, and also what's it going to look like, you know, is the ramp up a bit elongated? Are they going to have more pressure on the balance sheet over the next half year as well? Because um, you, you see that cash balance there, you know, just north of thirty million bucks in the last quarter, and you see there's debt to be repaid, and you also see like, they've got to keep paying money right now to pay employees, you know, keep keep the lights on, but you're not getting anything in the door, so it just puts a bit of pressure on that balance sheet. And uh, the question we have is, how do they plug that pressure? Can they can they get a bit of a, a funding solution from Traffic Europe, or do they have to hit the equity markets and and raise a bit of money to get them get them through? Yeah, exactly. You have to look at what that difference between their their fixed and what their variable costs are. So just because they're not producing, that means no money's coming in the door. But exactly like you said, they've still got to pay their people. They'll have reduced costs on stuff like diesel while things aren't running, but a lot of the costs will still be going out the door and we'll have to see, hopefully they can be back up and running in two weeks time and things are going smoothly again. But mm. it's a sort of hold, hold your breath kind of moment if you're a shareholder. Yeah, you look at like Canaccord, we're modeling already a minimum cash balance throughout ramp up of, of 12 million bucks. So you can you can see that things are going to be getting pretty skinny on, um, on, on their funding outcome here. And you wouldn't be surprised to see them have to plug that hole with equity. And if, if they have to go down that equity pathway, it kind of poses the question a little bit, um, you know, who, who, who invests in this one, JD? There's interesting shareholder mix there. Yeah, one more comment on the on the cash position. So that had factored in, I believe, paying the the bullet payment. The kind of cause numbers, yeah. yeah. But obviously hadn't factored in a, a mill shutdown. So no. yeah, onto the onto the shareholders. So yeah, top, who's stinging? 
Who's who's stinging in the at well, the moment on the register? We were doing a bit of research on this, and it actually reminded us that IGO tried to take them out a few years ago, didn't they? Yeah, mate. Oh, and they're still the on the register at twenty one percent, roughly. What a turnaround so of IGO! A, so they creeped up to twenty one, did they? Obviously, they've, they've held that stake for. Yes, you're right. They yeah. they would have creeped up incrementally from a nineteen point nine or, or something. Exactly. Yeah. Um, they've held that stake for a long time. It's really interesting to think what they're sort of strategic play is here i to be honest i can't work it out i think they had a, an old strategy i mean like they they had a, a big holding in new century back in the day and then they obviously yeah. sold that and then um this, this would have been a relatively significant holding uh, yeah a long while ago yeah but obviously they've done phenomenally well over the past few years yeah so this you know 35 40 million dollar holding is not what it once was but then nickel nickel today wouldn't be what they thought it was back when they were doing this uh so when they were doing that takeover, they weren't expecting nickel to be at nine bucks odd a pound. Today, they were expecting a big lift. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it'd be the easiest position to to sell out of either. That's a, another sort of thought, you know, mm. unless they were dribbling it out slowly over a, a long, long time. It doesn't have big, yeah, install appeal, this stock at all. Yeah. So also on the register, we've got Zeta that they're sitting at about 13%. So they... They've got a few positions uh, across the resources space. They hold a stake in Horizon Gold I think, I think as it was well. Zeta that were causing a bit of havoc when IGO, you know, were trying to uh, do their takeover at this company back in the day. Yeah. yeah, so I think IGO can send the guys at Zeta a bunch of flowers or something. <laughs> and also Ausbill holding 6.5% yeah. of the stock. So Genuine insta, yeah. If they were to have to do a raising, it'd be interesting to see, you know, are these guys going to, you know, take their, their pro rata? Yeah, the IGO is the interesting one for me. Do they take their pro rata? Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, everything's got a price. I'm sure they'll get the equity away if they if they um, discount it appropriately. And there's you know um, a line of sight through to to things being better, which you know there's a mind plan to support that. But um, yeah. but yeah, I like what the IGO follow pro rata. I'd be I'd be skeptical. I don't know. I'm with you there. I'd be skeptical too. I was trying to find a link there. I didn't know if um, so, uh, Panoramic still owned. Land Frankie, uh, which was, I think, down that way in Cal, but they sold that. So remember the Land Frankie nickel mine? That was there. Oh, yeah. That was Black, Black Mountain Metals. Black Mountain Metals. Equity Group. Bought yeah. it off them. Yeah. 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 So yeah. I was thinking, oh, well, IGA looking at land exploration at Land Frankie because that mm. was obviously finished, but that's obviously not the case. It's not on uh, Thingo's register. Right. Next, boys. That's a wrap. That's a wrap. I was still looking for a pub. No, one, no, one's, no one's told us a pub. Mate, I had a person call me and say he's got a shed and plenty of home <laughs> brew if we, um, if we need it, but it, it was noticed. Yeah, I had a few people someone say tried to, uh, Someone was bloody messaging me saying they can hook us up with one. Um, they've got mates that have them in Sydney. I'm like, well, we don't bloody live there. Yeah. So- <laughs> All I've had is people tell us it's got to be in the CBD. They're not happy. They, you, your suggestion, the paddo, they like the venue style, but they don't want to go to – Mount Hawthorne for oh, it. Far out, how close to the CBD? You want to try living in friggin' Hammond Park, Coburn? <laughs> Fuck's sake. But he, uh, well, where's a good one? Let's spitball some things that would suit. Would, a live give us a Would give us an area that's not bloody loud. We're, we're, May, Mayfair's no good because it's too bloody every bastard's yelling we'll, and we'll shit. We'll bring there. at least, you know, 10 people to the pub for a beer. So, you know, there's a bit of a. Bit oh, mate, of, gonna, it's going to be bloody hundreds. We might have to chuck this segment at the, at the front of the show so we can get. A, People listening in saying, giving their suggestions. Maybe the back, maybe the back bit of the Subi Hotel there. That'd be the guy. The back, oh, the yeah. backyard bar, the back yeah. bar there. You can yeah. 
rent that out. Yep. This bloody swan. That's, that's two, that, that's two, two kilometres from the city. Swan city. draft on tap. Mm-hmm. I'll be bloody shit-faced by the end of the live show. I'll be bloody... Oh, can't vape inside either. <laughs> <laughs> Righto, hooteroo, everyone. Hooteroo. Told me and you tomorrow, JD. It is, yeah. A lot of eye contact to be had. Oh, yeah. I'm back, back on, on the, the desk. desk. Oh, looking, <laughs> looking forward to it. Hooteroo. The information contained in this episode of Money of Mine is of general nature only and does not take into account the objectives, financial situation or needs of any particular person. Before making any investment decision, you should consult with your financial advisor and consider how appropriate the advice is to your objectives, financial situation and needs.